Welcome, I'm Bill Young, the pastor at Sweat Memorial Baptist Church, and we are thankful you've joined us to listen to our weekly podcast. Through this sermon podcast, we hope to bring encouragement to your heart, help grow your faith, and inspire you toward a closer walk with the Lord. To learn more about our church, find us online at smbcwaycross.com or through Facebook and Instagram. I'm glad you're here, and I hope you enjoy the message. I invite you to turn tonight to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, and share in this. And the next time that I announce on a Sunday morning what I believe that I'll be preaching that night, Somebody needs to say, Brother Bill, are you sure you're up to it? This thing has given me fits this afternoon now. The deeper and deeper I got into it, and you will see as we go. It's very simple till we get down to the end, and then there is, you know, a consideration of interpretation or how you see it. But Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to go section by section. Uh, You know, read a couple of verses, share about that, then go to the next couple of verses It breaks itself up just like most of the sermons that I share, the expository sermons. The the inspiration for this came, I forget if it was yesterday or the day before, the devotion in the open windows was based on verse 19 of chapter 25. And it says, after a long time, and this is all that was in there, but then the little uh, devotional part talked about you know, the, the master giving his servants, uh, you know, stewardship over some areas and then coming back. And it said, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. I don't know why, but it was just like it hit me in the face. And I said, brother, there's coming a day of reckoning. There is coming a day of owning up to God on how we have been with what he have blessed us with. R.G. Lee, the famed pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, where later I think most well-known since then is Adrian Rogers, was famous for a message entitled Payday Someday. And that's exactly what is happening here. There comes that day when we will give an account. We will, we will give an account. And so that's what this parable is about, the parable of the talents. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, how I pray that this word, as it has touched my heart, and I'm praying for that anointing of the Holy Spirit, that your word does not return unto you void, and that which you have for this word, may we receive it and obey. And I just pray, Jesus, hide me behind the cross, hide me in the word, And may it be your voice that's heard and not mine. Forgive us of our sins and I pray Jesus for people to be saved and revived. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to simply title the message of those phrases there in 19 that struck my heart so much. And that is the day of reckoning here. The simple outline and we're just going is kind of like a Bible study, which I pray all is. And that is the first thing in this passage of Scripture is the subject of ownership. 
ownership. Notice verses 14 through 15. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. In other gospels, it would be referred to as the kingdom of God. But the gospel of Matthew, and this is important, I think, in a, a little later, is targeted heavily toward Israel, toward the Jews. And they had a real, real, you know, problem with familiarity with God, referring to God, you know, no way by using his name they would use all kinds of different descriptions for God. And so Matthew, in writing to them, refers to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and the reign of God himself. And so Jesus is giving us teachings on the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his, and I'm going to underline the word own, his own servants and delivered unto them and underline the word his, his goods. And unto one he gave five talents. And you know that these are denominations of of money. Uh, in some places uh, it's referred to as silver and the value is based on the purity of the silver. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several or individual ability and straightway then took his journey. I think that which is important here is to recognize the ownership of God and that everything, and of course the man traveling into a far country is representative of God himself. And the servants here, as we come to the end, we will have to understand better exactly. But I emphasize that they are his servants and he has delivered to them his goods. And he is going away and they have been entrusted uh, ownership uh, uh, he, has, he is the owner, but he has entrusted them with this. Now, as I said, this is a denomination of money. Today, when we think about ownership and stewardship and things like that, we usually break it down into three words there, and that is we have been entrusted with time, talents, and treasure. Time, of course, is our life. Talents are those abilities that God gives us to serve Him. And we can think of them in terms of spiritual gifts. There are spiritual gifts, and then I believe that there are talents. You say, what is the difference there? And I'm not here to, you know, get all deep into this, but some spiritual gift studies these days have a whole lot of things that they call spiritual gifts. And I have a little problem with that, just a little problem, not a real uh, you know, scriptural authority problem. But the best I understand the scripture there is specifically identified 18 spiritual gifts. 18 spiritual gifts. And so I believe though that we have been given abilities beyond or alongside those spiritual gifts that God expects us to use for the kingdom of God also. And I put it this way. I believe we are born with talents. There's some very talented people out there in the world that's never been born again, amen? Very talented people. They were born, it's in their gene pool, those abilities that they have. 
But then when we are born again, we are endowed with spiritual gifts by which to serve the kingdom of God. But I want to tell you, friend, God owns both of them. Amen? God owns both of them. If you're a good athlete, you should play to the glory of God. Amen? You got a good voice, you should sing to the glory of God. You are a brilliant individual, you should be brilliant to the glory of God. If he has called you to be a person of faith, your faith is the glory of God. If he has called you to preaching, your preaching is to the glory of God. If it's a leadership, it's to the glory of God. It's the spiritual gift of giving, it is to the glory of God. And so the owner here has entrusted money to these people, but my emphasis here is that God has entrusted us with life itself. He has entrusted us with talents slash spiritual gifts. And some of us, I would hope, and worldwide, some people are really struggling here. And treasure here, of course, does refer to those things that we consider that we own and they have been given to us to use for the glory of God. And so the owner, when he goes away, he calls his servants, he gives them his goods, and then he goes on his journey. One of the things that we lose sight of is that our time belongs to God. That our abilities belong to God. That our treasures belong to God. You realize you and I don't own anything. We don't own anything. Now, I am blessed. I am blessed. Because, friend, I tell them from the pulpit, I don't own anything. Now, I'm blessed. It's because I'm a bum and I live off everybody else, okay? I'm still living in First Baptist Blackshear's Parsonage over there, you know? I'm just a freeloader. But you know what? I don't want to own anything. I don't want to own anything. If you got a boat, good for you. I don't want one. If you got a vacation home, good for you. I don't want one. I don't want anything. I don't care for anything that is just going to require maintenance and a distraction or any. I don't own anything. Well, guess what? You don't either. Amen. It all belongs to God. He gave it to them. He gave it to them to use for him while he was gone and it all belonged to him in the beginning and in the end. One of the best illustrations that I have for this and I love to tell it and I wish my daughters were here. And that is when they were much younger when I was pastoring First Baptist Avondale Estates and I was just really getting into you know, the running thing I came in one Saturday morning, and I guess Suzanne, the oldest, was about 11 or 12, and that makes Sarah exactly four years younger. She would have been eight. And I came in from jogging on a Saturday morning, and I have low blood sugar if I'm not careful, and, uh, which I'm not, but you ain't either with your health problems, amen? <laughs> I'm just not careful. I don't eat like I ought to. I, I, I just don't. And I, and, and I can get a little disoriented. I can get jittery, I can get blurred vision, and, and I know I, I've gone too far. Well, I came in from running that morning, and it was a day or two after Halloween, and the girls had been trick-or-treating. 
Suzanne was sitting at a kitchen and a little bay, at a table in a bay window area there in the kitchen reading, and it was candy spread out everywhere in front of her, and man, my low blood sugar kicked in. And I said, may I have a piece of your candy? Because, you know, I'm a gentleman father, okay, you know. May I have a piece of your candy? Sure. So I ate a piece of candy, began to feel the good effects of it. And I said, may I have another piece of candy? She said, yeah, yeah, sure. So I had another piece of candy. And I said, can I just have one more piece of candy? I feel like I need it and I'll be okay. Sure, you can have it. And so after I ate that third piece of candy, I looked at her and I said, you sure are being generous with your candy. She said, this is not mine, this is Sarah's. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why I say, friend, I don't want to go back, you know. I don't want to go back. I got them out of there. I ain't going back, you know. No, Lord of mercy, no. But, I mean, friend, if we begin to realize who owns it all, you're not going to have a problem with your time. Give it to God through His church, amen? You're not going to have a problem with your talents, your abilities, or your spiritual gifts. You know that they belong to God, and you're not going to have any problem in tithing or going more because it's like, this ain't my money, and it's not. And so one of the great subjects here is that of ownership. Ownership, who owns it? Who owns it? I like the guy that turned the phrase from the song that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you know, somebody came along later and said, and he owns the hills too, friends. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And whatever we have that we enjoy, God gave it to us. He's the owner. The second part of this passage of scripture then is that subject of stewardship. They are expected to handle responsibly what God has entrusted to them. Absolutely. So there in verses 16 through 18, he says, then he that had received the, uh, let's see, I got to, yeah, he gave them five, he gave them two, he gave them one. He that had received the five talents went, traded with the same and made them other five talents. And a little italics down here and scholars have figured this out that he eventually accumulated $26,400. That's pretty good 2,000 years ago, you know. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two, $10,560. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And so the 5280 that he got, you know later in this story, that's all he's got to give back to God. The stewardship of it. Now here's where some of these little things, they really challenged me and I feel good about where I am here. In verse 15, he gave one five, he gave one two, and he gave another one. And he said, according to his several abilities. Not meaning that anybody is more important, nobody is more gifted than another. It is that we are called to different forms of service and therefore those different forms require different resources. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I answered my own question. <laughs> of course it makes sense. No, we all have differing gifts, differing abilities. 
And some are going to need a whole lot more in some areas than others are. Some are going to have to work harder. Some are going to have to, you know, develop themselves more. And I remind you again of those three steps that are so critical to being a good steward of your spiritual gifts. And I would say also now, because as I've said, your talents belong to God too. You know, if you're born with certain abilities, you know, then they belong to God. And here's those three steps that if we're going to be a good steward of what God has given us, and let's think here of talents, let's think of spiritual gifts, you know, we've got to first discover, discover what God has gifted us with to be good for Him in the kingdom of God. What God has gifted us with to be good and bring Him glory as we live for Him and we are stewards of what He has given us. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I do all of this very briefly, and that is in Elizabeth O'Connor's book, The Eighth Day of Creation, she shares a great little outline on discovering what is it that maybe God has given me. What has God given me as an ability that I might serve Him and bring Him glory? And I love those five steps, and I will just simply mention them, and that is... If you really, really, really want to know what maybe your place is in the kingdom of God, you begin with prayer. And we're talking very quiet, very alone, very unhurried, undistracted, seeking the heart of God. And in that quiet place, you then begin to ask God, what is it that I feel would really be fulfilling in my life What is it that if I could do, I would love to do? What is it, God, that you have, I believe, given me that I can do in the kingdom and for your glory? And once you lock in on that thing, because I'm very strong that God helps us be obedient to him and that he places within us a desire for his will. Listen, friend, nobody had to twist my arm to get me up here and preach tonight, amen? I want to preach. I'm glad to preach. And so a long time ago, I began to feel in my heart, God's calling me to preach. And sometimes we hear about people surrendering to the ministry, but I ran openly into preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. I think I shared with you, I have a friend that he felt like God called him to preach. He did all the preparation. He did all the training and Shortly thereafter, into the full-time pursuit of that vocation, he changed vocations, and I asked him one day, I said, why? He said, well, I thought God had called me to preach, but he said, man, I began to dread every week preaching. And he said, then I knew that wasn't God's will, and he has glorified God all of his life in another area of ministry. And so you say, what, what, what do I feel like, you know? Then you inventory it. Do I have those gifts? Do I have that within me that is needed in order to do what I believe that maybe God has called me to do? And then number four, what kind of preparation do I need to make? Is there a preparation that I need to make in order to do that? And then as I've shared with you, then you launch out by faith and you begin to do it. You pray, you dream, you inventory, you prepare, and then you do. When you discover that, that next step, of course, goes along with those five steps. You discover your spiritual gift, then you develop it. 
Then you develop it. You may need to do certain things. I shared a story the other day. I don't know if I shared it here or not. But that is of a man that went to college and he thought that God was calling him to the medical profession. And he went through the pre-med in college and instead of going on to med school, he went out into the business world and was very successful in the business world. And as he began to reach that midlife, he regretted that he didn't pursue being a doctor and he just felt like I need to pursue it. So he went to talk to his pastor and told him where he thought maybe God was leading him. Uh, and, and the pastor said, well, listen, uh, the dean of the med school here in town is a good friend of mine. I'll give him a call and see what do you have to do. So the preacher picked up the phone. He called the dean of the med school shared with him this individual what his training had been, what he felt like that he needed to do. And the preacher hung up the phone and he said, I've got good news for you. The dean says, come on over and enroll. You should be accepted based on your prior studies. And in four years, you'll be a doctor. And the guy said, in four years, I'll be 49 years old. And the preacher said, how old will you be in four years if you don't go to med school? Amen. So you have, to de- you have to develop yourself. You have to develop yourself. And I want to tell you, you know, probably this sounds contradictory, but I didn't have to go to college to be a preacher. I was preaching two years before I got to college. I didn't have to go to seminary to be a preacher. I was pastoring before I ever got there. But I felt led that God wanted me to be all that I could be and I felt that that training was important. By the time I was 50 years old, I'll always remember preaching a graduate recognition there at First Baptist and there's this graduating class in front of me and I'm challenging them to be all they can be and I said, you know, uh, I'm 50 years old and uh, I've spent half my life in school, 25 years in school. And I know they were saying... I ain't near as dumb as he is. I ain't doing that. I don't need to do that. And I'll remind you of that favorite phrase of the church that I grew up in. I went off to college. I went off to seminary. I was visiting back in that home church in Rome, Georgia. And this is one of my favorite things. I know I've told it to you. And this guy comes up to me and he says, Bill, you know what I like about you? Boy, don't we listen then. And he said, you've been to college and you've been to seminary, but you can't tell it. And that was a compliment, friend. That was a compliment. So we need to develop our gifts and then we need to do it. We need to do them. We need to do them. You don't have to go in some areas. I was preaching up a storm before I ever went off and tried to refine the gifts of that. But I believed in my heart. And I study hard. I study hard. All these years, I don't take one sermon for granted. I think... Many of you are familiar, and you've had him probably before at banquets, and that is Wayne Eights can be so funny, humorous if you're not familiar with him. But Wayne Eights, he tells a story, and I love it, and he tells about this little boy that's feeling the first feelings of love for this little girl. And they're sitting on the front porch one evening, and it's beautiful, and he looks at her and he says, Oh, I wish I had a thousand eyes to take in your beauty. She said, you don't mean that. He said, I wish I had a thousand ears 
to hear your sweet voice. She said, you don't mean that. And he said, I wish I had a thousand arms to put around your neck. And she said, you don't mean that. He said, why do you keep saying that? And she said, because you ain't using what you got. That's why. (laughs) Use what you got, friends. God owns it all. He is the steward and we are to use it to the best we can for his glory. The third part of this is the reckoning. It's the reckoning. After a long time, this master comes back and he calls in his servants and he begins to audit. He begins to check the books. He begins to want to know, what have you done with what I gave you? What have you done with it? This is the day of reckoning. I think one day, definitely, we're going to have to answer for how we've used our time. We're going to have to answer for how we've used whatever talent or spiritual gift we have. And we're going to have to answer for how we have used our personal, financial, treasure, resources for the kingdom of God. And I've often said, if you ever want to find out where a person's heart lies, just simply look at their calendar and their checkbook. Amen? That'll tell you right away what I feel like is important in my life. And so there's going to come that day of reckoning. And that day is going to end in one of two directions. One is joy. Verse 20 through 23. So he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's what all of us are wanting to hear one day. And then he who had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want one day. That's what I want one day. Because I believe that I'm going to have to give an account. You know, my sins were judged on the cross of Calvary. Amen. But my works are going to be judged one day. The believer's judgment is the work's judgment. What did you do with your time? What did you do with all those abilities I gave you? What did you do? What did, what did you do with it? A story that continues to trouble my heart. Freddie Gage in one of his books on evangelism. And I think about a personal reference to it. But he tells about an immigrant to the United States that came ahead of the family, found a job, found a place to live, and his family was in desperate situation in an oppressive country, and absolutely everything that he could turn loose, he sent back to take care of his family. And had entrusted one of his brothers 
to see that everybody was taken care of. I think about some years ago, we were blessed in this community. They moved into our community, Dr. Derek Mpinga and his wife, Miriam. He was vice president of what then was Waycross College. Miriam was a school nurse and with the Ware County Health Department. They were from, and I forget whether it was Zambia or Zimbabwe, African, one to the Lord by our missionaries, came here and went to seminary and got into education and they joined First Baptist Blackshear. And I found it so interesting. They found a home there. They found a home at First Baptist Blackshear. And I know every church probably has a good old boy class. I've not found the one here yet. But I'm going to find it one day. Uh, when I went to First Baptist Avondale Estates, this Sunday school class invited me to come about the first Sunday or so I was there. And I went in there and I could tell right away it was a good old boy class. They said, Preacher, we just wanted to invite you in here one time and you don't need to come back the rest of your ministry here. That was a good old boy class. Well, we got a good old boy class at Blackshear. It's called the Misfits. Men in service for illuminating the Savior. They made Derek assistant teacher of that class. But every penny Derek and Miriam got, they sent back to their family in Africa. Well, this fellow in the story, he began to hear your sister passed, I'm sorry. Your brother passed, I'm sorry. Our parents have passed, I'm sorry. Until one was left, that brother, and he came to America. And on his deathbed, the brother that had come and worked and sent everything he had, asking, what happened? What happened to all our family? Didn't I send enough? And his brother in a last confession of guilt said, I kept it all to myself. God's going to want to know what we do with it. And for some of us, it'll be great joy. But in verses 24 through 30, it could be very disappointing. Now this is a real mystery passage here. Verse 24, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping when thou hast not sown gathering where thou hast not strode or scatter and I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth lo thou hast that is thine here it is what you gave me the Lord answered and said unto him you wicked and slothful servant you knew that I reap where I sowed not gather where I have not scattered you ought therefore to have put my money into the bank or the exchanges, and then at my coming I could have at least received the interest. And then they said, Take the talent from him, give it unto the one which has ten talents. For everyone that has shall be given, he shall have abundance, but from him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here is the interpretation dilemma, and I searched several commentaries, and it is difficult to exactly understand, but I'm going to share with you where my heart is. Because in verse 14, the owner gave to his servants his goods. The way I understand that is that those servants were a part of the household of this master. 
They were a part of the kingdom of heaven. Outer darkness and gnashing of teeth is primarily a reference to hell. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, he was not honorable. He was not admirable. But there is something else coming on here and that he is not cast into hell. The bottom references take us to Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, where the centurion sends for Jesus to come and heal his servant. And the centurion says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. And when Jesus heard it, verse 10, chapter 8 of Matthew, he says, I've not found so great faith, no, where? Not in Israel. This is a Gentile. Such an honor for Jesus. I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. Jesus says, I've not even found this kind of faith in Israel. And then he says, this is Jesus. And this, this was just beyond the imagination of Israel. Many shall come from east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. They would have never believed that. You mean Gentiles are coming from all over the world and are going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And verse 12 is the critical one, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe in my heart that the end of this story is the disappointment of a wasted life, a wasted opportunity, wasted resources, wasted talents. Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience, and I believe that this is a parable describing the disappointment of the chosen people of God who rejected Jesus. And the reason that I cannot accept it as hell is I'm one that believes that one day Israel's going to embrace Jesus Christ. They are disappointed. And oh, how I pray that we do not stand before God one day. And even though we may enter into eternal life, but we're going to be at that moment disappointed that I just wasted so much of what God gave me. So the next time I tell you what I'm going to preach that night, somebody please holler, Brother Bill, do you think you're up to it? This is challenging. God's the owner. We're the stewards. There's coming a day of reckoning, and it'll either be a day of joy or I'm going to stand tonight or a day of disappointment. Use everything you got to the glory of God. Thank you again for joining us on the Sweat Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We would love for you to join us in person for worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Waycross, Georgia. Connect with us online through our website, Facebook, and Instagram. Have a great day.